Good morning, Professor McManus. Call me Jim, please, and morning. I will. All right. No more. No more. No more titles. Welcome to the program and thank you for sparing the time. I should say that this uh, this interview is being recorded uh, on uh, Friday. Um, so things are moving very fast in this area, but uh, hopefully not too fast. Now, um, to start off with, uh, uh, Jim, just, just tell us a bit about, I'm afraid probably a lot of us were ignorant about what public health locally was, but tell us, tell us what public health in Hertfordshire is all about or was about before coronavirus hit us. Okay, well, there's probably three bits to public health, um, and there's there's one bit which is where I sit in the county council, and um, we have a we have about 141 different things to do, and some of that is about commissioning services for people, so weight loss services, smoking cessation services, health improvement. Uh, another job is about. Um, monitoring the health of the population and looking at where we need to put services in place and giving advice to others. And the third is kind of responding to anything from giving, you know, technical advice on um, on uh, chemical contamination to um, responding to major incidents and managing pandemics. So if you've used an alcohol or drug treatment service in Hertfordshire or a sexual health service in Hertfordshire or contraception in Hertfordshire or weight management in Hertfordshire, or indeed your child has been visited by a health visitor or a school nurse, then you've come across one of our services. I think a lot of people wouldn't understand that that's actually a county council service and might think that was all part of the NHS, but that's all handled by your team, is it? Yeah, so, and um, basically it's partly historical. So before 1974, we were all in local government. and there's, there's a whole load of public health that never left um, district councils, and that's called environmental health, and that's been there since about 1846. Um, and then um, in 1972, 1974, bits of public health went into the NHS, and now largely they've come back again into, this time, the county council, um, but uh, bits have gone to another agency called Public Health England. So if that confused you by how complex it is then you is the the complexity yes is the complexity actually a problem or does it generally speaking work pretty well so in my experience in Hertfordshire um, we've got great relationships with the districts um, and the boroughs and um, and I think um, and we've also got, you know, relationships facing into the NHS because we work with them. So I think it's about mindset and partnership. Uh, and the, one of the really good things about working here is that we've got that, you know, um, by the lorry load, which is great. And how big is your team then? Um, so we, uh, so um, uh, before COVID, I think we had about um, 61 Um I think about seven or eight years ago, we had over a hundred. Um, a lot, so that doesn't include the nursing workforce that's, that is actually in the NHS, but we buy, we commission from them, right. uh, for example. Um, uh, and I think it's gone up by about another three, particularly in COVID. Um, so that's our workforce. Um, it's not the the biggest in the country, but it's not the smallest either. It's it's um it's kind of in the middle, as it were. 
Right. Okay. So, and, and, and you're not medically trained, are you? So how did you get into public health? What, what oh, drew you or what brought you to where you are today? Well, there was a time when you could only be a director of public health if you were a medic or a consultant. And, and so a lot of people assume that if you're a DPH, you're a doctor, uh, you know, um, and particularly a medical doctor, and I'm not. And around 2004 or five, um, the profession was open to non-medics. Um, but so what you have to do is normally you have to go through a five, six year training program, which includes um, uh, postgraduate qualifications. Plus um, there's two sets of exams that belong to uh, a faculty of the Royal College of Physicians and you have to pass those and the various other groups. And you know, at the end of that, if you're still alive, um, <laughs> and can vaguely make sense, um, then you get registered. Um, and then for those of us who'd been, shall we say, knocking about a while um, and doing stuff, um, there was a route whereby people... Uh, so I did the exams, but I also had to submit a fairly detailed portfolio of my experience. And uh, so we're talking five lever arch files that they spend assessing wow. against um, 65 competencies. So it's all independently verified. And if you pass all that, you put on the register and um, and then you're allowed to go for the job. And I think actually having an, un I think in public health, you need people who are both medically and non-medically qualified because we bring different and complementary skills. And I'm really lucky in Hertfordshire that we've got people who are, are medics people who are nurses, people who are non-medics, um, as well as environmental health officers who are that kind of crucial part of the public health family. Excellent. Well, it, it sounds like a, a multifaceted and, and much larger team probably than most people uh, would imagine or would have imagined until we started to hear about public health uh, in, in the past few months. Let's talk a bit about um, wind the clock back to kind of January, February this year as uh, what it started to emerge as a possible pandemic came out. Um, how did things develop in Hertfordshire and, and in your team as we went through that period sort of from January to lockdown? Oh, gosh. Well, um, it, it all moved very quickly. Um, so I remember on on uh, New Year's Eve um, having stuff come across the newswires from the World Health Organization that there'd been an unusual cluster of pneumonia uh, in Wuhan. Uh, I, and, and I did have a bit of a oh moment. Uh, and then as more information emerged, um, what we started to do in January was monitor it and um, uh, and then uh, started to look at the risk locally and stood up our plan. We dusted off the flu pandemic plan locally as a multi-agency group of um, organisations in Hertfordshire. And we got straight into work on providing guidance. Um, so we were being inundated with questions um, from people from, you know, travel, from uh, what do we do, uh, from from testing, uh, and uh, we had a number of schools who were coming back from uh, travelling places at half term, which was early February, if I remember rightly. And we then got into um, standing up a helpline, um, which we stood up very quickly. In fact, Hertfordshire's helpline um, was there a week before the government's um, schools helpline was there. 
Um, so, um, you know, my thanks to my colleagues for that. Um, and then we developed the protocols for cases and the plans. And uh, from about the early February, we just created this industry of um, activity to prepare for COVID. So um, getting guidance in place, getting equipment in place, getting places ready. There's a thing called the Local Resilience Forum, which is a sort of multi-agency partnership. Um, that's, that's, that's all the, the key sort of statutory agencies. Well, they stood up and they started planning. And together we started planning for um, what we thought would be the scenarios coming down um, from national government saying, you know, um, start planning for hospital cases. Um, we used a number of people that was that was a worst case scenario than we actually had. Um, and um, we just started ramping up plans um, for uh, getting people to work from home, plans to keep schools and care homes safe and a whole load of other things. And at one point, um, I think I had a whole load of my staff um, facing into other projects. So, for example, we delivered well over 100,000 parcels of food during lockdown to people in Hertfordshire. And that wasn't me, that was that was Hertfordshire, that was all the agencies working together. Mm -hmm. So I put a project manager in to help stand up a project plan for that, and a lot of other people do other things. If you look at um, another scheme of work, I put a consultant in public health in to give detailed infection control advice. And since about early to mid-February, it has just been rather a, um, a whirlwind of activity um, that's kind of blended into one another. And I suppose we'd probably gone through three phases. The, the, the first phase is ramping up to lockdown and all the action and preparation and monitoring and making sure that we've got the services. The second is beginning to wind down and actually looking at um, uh, what we need to put back in place. So through the lockdown, we kept um, priority visits for some families, for health visitors going. They might have shifted online, but we kept them going. And then the third phase is actually preparing in case we get a second wave and doing prevention. I suppose the one thing I would say is that the 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 people who made the difference to this whole thing are the residents of Hertfordshire. Um, so, you know, people in our street started cleaning their gates every day for the postie and the delivery people to put mm -hmm. them um, the people of Hertfordshire took all the measures that we wanted them to. We would be in a much worse position numbers-wise if people hadn't complied with social distancing, staying at home, hand-washing and, and face masks. We would be an awful lot worse than we are but for um, what people in Hertfordshire did and amazing acts of care and kindness and love. Um, so so I really was just one bit of the effort, um, but I, I'm really proud that that's been here. Now, I think most people who do emergency planning and so on will, will tell you that it doesn't matter how many times you run an exercise, when you actually dust the plan off and start doing it, 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 can, go, it can go wrong. Did, were there things where um, the, the plan, no matter how well developed, sort of starts to not work? Were there, were there situations where you had that? Um, I, think there were, I think nationally there were. So um, I think everybody admits nationally that as a country, we could have done probably better on testing and tracing. Um, uh, and I think from where I am, it's probably 
difficult to sit and look in detail at what um, uh, think we think could have been better because I've been focused on putting things right. Um, I think so. For me, though, the key thing is working together. So, if you look at the contact tracing program, what we've learned about the contact tracing program is is it can do some really good stuff and. The National Contacting Tracing Programme in Hertfordshire has got some high completion rates in some bits of the county. But there are one or two areas where I think we could do better at contacting people. So what's happened is that local councils have stepped up and have taken over that local contact tracing and are getting those rates up and getting that personalised, tailored support up to people. Now, is that is that happening in Hertfordshire now? Are we dealing with it at a more local level? Are we doing the contact tracing locally, or is that just oh, in yeah. areas where there's there's heavy cases? Um, no, I think I think it's happening here. I mean, so uh, and I think it's good to do it in the areas where there are low levels of cases because um, that kind of local rapport from a local council officer, it's, it may be an environmental health officer, it may be some of my team, it may be a nurse. But um, again, this is about working in partnership. So our local environmental health teams have stepped up to the plate uh, and um, are contact tracing people. Um, and what happens is they ring them up and they, they kind of, they, what they want to know is, look, who have you been in touch with? Where have you been? Where have you been where you might possibly have infected somebody or contacted them? Um, grand, what support do you need to self-isolate until you're ready? Um, and uh, where that's been done, really by somebody local, you can get a relationship going and you can support them to get what they need and you understand the patch, which is always a good thing. Um, so I'm really proud of that. I mean, it's not an industry because we haven't got that large numbers, but I'm really proud of the fact that that's happening here. Um, and I think we are better placed to do that there is government a better mm. central contact tracing place to do slightly different things and it's a it's a i know it's been common for people to say well it's it's an either or it's it's a both and actually we need each other um okay Did, was sense. it frustrating at all initially some some people um uh, felt that the local government was basically being ignored in the in the early stages was that at all frustrating for you um, I think we, um, I think it took a while for everybody to understand the different benefits that people bring together with one another, um, if I might put it that way. So I think um, because you're in a live situation, because you were, I mean, national government were faced with a situation they'd never seen before, let's be honest. And... Um, they, they've, they've stood up massive systems in weeks. Um, and when that happens, you're never going to get it perfect. But the key thing is to maintain that spirit of how do we make this work together? How do we make this work in partnership? Um, what can we do to make it work? And, and my experience here is that's happened. So the data and information sharing has been a bit of a challenge to get to because actually the way you calculate deaths in hospitals is different from the way you calculate deaths in the communities but we've sorted that and I think it takes an attitude of do you know this isn't perfect it's never going to be perfect 
Um, so how do we involve one another to make it work? And and I think we've been lucky here in that um, we've had that at, op, that attitude from many of the people we worked with. I, I mean, I guess I'm kind of focusing on the positive. Um, yeah. Because all I care about really is making it work. Um, and I think that's been a good thing. Um, could we have done things better? Undoubtedly, everybody could have done things better. But, you know... Um, I think under the circumstances, I've seen people do an amazing job. How is Hertfordshire faring right now in terms of infection rates and and um, the general trend on those? Where where do we stand? Uh, so so this might well change by Tuesday. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm, no, I should say this is recorded on Friday, but let let's um, keep fingers crossed and hope it it, it changes in a positive way. But um, just tell us in in broad terms, you know, where where do we stand at the moment? So if I might paint a picture, I think we've 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 come down from the 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 big peak of the first wave. Um, we've seen four thousand four hundred and six people infected um really sadly we've seen 1091 deaths um uh, it could have been higher but you know still those are still deaths and it's um that's uh, a real tragedy one death is one death too many for me um we are at the tail end, I think, of the first wave. Um, the numbers are, are flatlining uh, and in some places beginning to uptick a little because we have lifted off a lot of restrictions. So we are still seeing new infections. The virus is still out there. It is still circulating. It's doing perfectly well. And um, and if people are complacent with measures, then then we will see numbers start to ramp up again. So... I think a few people have kind of eased off. Um, and what we've got is, like any place, um, sporadic outbreaks across the county in a variety of settings that are continuing and will continue. And I think we expect this to be the case into next year until we either get a vaccine or the virus mutates into such a much milder form um, than it is currently. Um, so that's where is we're it, at. Is it likely that the virus would mutate into a milder form what, um, if we don't get a vaccine? So I think it's already done that partly in that there are there, there are definitely reports of two strains, if you read the scientific literature, um, that, that they think may have slightly different impact on people. Um, and it, it would be fairly, I mean, I'm not a virologist, but it's fairly consistent with what viruses do, that they do tend to kind of, um, uh, mutate, uh, particularly coronaviruses uh, and flu viruses. So it is it is likely that that will continue to happen. Whether it becomes milder or stronger, I think there's still a lot of debate about. Um, mm-hmm. I think it, it looks like there are reasonable prospects of a vaccine by very early next year. Um, so the only measures that are going to get us through this winter are firstly... Um, continuing the prevention of coronavirus spreading and secondly you know stopping us having at the same time as a second peak of covid um a, a peak of something else like flu or measles or mumps or or whatever else so you know 
the worst case scenario is, is we have a whole load of people needing hospital from flu um, because they didn't get their flu jab and a whole load of people needing hospital from COVID and a whole load of staff off sick with both. Um, that would be a, a bad outcome. So uh, we're kind of saying to everybody, you know, um, we're in this summer lull period. So, you know, get ready for winter, get, get ready for your flu vaccine when it's available. Um, and keep on keeping going with the social distancing measures because we aren't out of the woods yet. Yeah, no, it's it's getting obviously busier in city centres and um, to some extent in, in restaurants and bars and so on. And how how do people keep reminding themselves? Have you got any handy hints as to how people remind themselves about hand washing, about the distance they need to keep, uh, and also about some of the rules about mixing with, with households and so on? What, what, what would you suggest people need to keep reminding themselves? Because we're still not used to this, are we? I mean, it's very early days and it's easy to slip back. Oh, it's, it's very easy to slip back uh, and, and it's human nature to, to kind of form habits. Um, I think the... And I'm I'm not at all surprised people are sometimes confused by by the rules and the regulations because they can be they can feel quite complicated. Um, we've done a kind of play your part campaign, which is you know the kind of four behaviours, which is you know wash your hands regularly, wear a face mask, stay two metres apart, and actually if you get symptoms, get a test and self isolate. And those are the four. Whatever else you do, those are the four kind of things you need to do um i noticed an awful lot of people also having real so that's aimed at individuals we, we've got another campaign for businesses and what to do but i've noticed a lot of people touching their face and i keep saying to people the trick is keep your hands below your shoulders if your hands are below your shoulders you won't touch your face you know people mm. put coverings on and then fiddle with them We've all it is so hard. It is so hard to do, isn't it? But you, if you can just keep thinking about it, there's a possibility you'll at least do it less. Um, but uh, and, and hand washing, of course, playing its part there as well. What about businesses and um, particularly things, places like restaurants and bars taking contact details i mean is is the experience from test and trace that that is really happening? Because we've seen in other parts of the country that it appears that it isn't. Um. So my experience in Hertfordshire, we're doing fairly well um, uh, at businesses doing that. So um, I cycled into St Albans uh, one, uh, one evening last week, stopped and had something to eat, and there was a QR code on the table um, that asked me to, uh, which cunningly had both the menu and a contact tracing form on it. <laughs> Yeah. I, I thought I thought it was really good. Um, the the Saint Albans Museum, when you go in to buy a coffee, asks you to fill in a form. Um, so there's really good people. There's some people who aren't and find it really difficult. Um, but uh, I think the if you look at the social distancing measures that businesses have put in place. So we've done a toolkit for businesses, and and the Hertfordshire Lep has done a toolkit. Um, uh, I have yet to go into a business as a customer um, that hasn't been monitoring that. Now, we've had a very few reports of people not behaving with it. And in my experience, every single person to whom advice has been given has complied. Um, so I think that's a, I think we celebrate the attitude of Archer because if we keep going with that, we will have a much um, lower second peak than than a lot of the rest of the country, I think. 
What would you say to people who, who, who think, look, actually, this isn't that serious. I don't know anybody who's had it. Um, I'm not going to wear a face mask in, in the supermarket. Um, I, I don't need to abide by these rules about how many households I can, I can meet with. What, what would you say to them um, about, about that? Um, so I would say several things. Um, the, the, the first is that um, uh, you may not know anybody, um, but actually um, 1% of people who get infected by this will die within six weeks. 8%, and that's an average. It, it's higher if you've got serious conditions. So my 81-year-old mum, you might not want to wear a face mask or do the measures for you, but what if she's out shopping and, and you've been pawing your way through, you know, the, the, the packed salad section of a supermarket and somebody's mother with arthritis or diabetes goes in, touches that and picks up COVID from you? Um, so... This is about us taking responsibility, not just for ourselves, but for everybody. I mean, I treat everybody I meet as if they, they have COVID because that's the standard protocol that you do with these things. Uh, and, and everybody who meets me should treat me as if I have COVID because that's the only way to stop this thing spreading. So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing is, is we, we have a responsibility to look after um, each other and especially those most vulnerable um, so on top of 1% of people dying from this within 6 weeks 8% of people who get this virus may well end up in hospital within 2 weeks and and of that 8% um, you know a good 10% uh, to a quarter may well end up on a ventilator um, and the third thing is um, uh, there are people who have recovered from so for everybody I know who's had COVID and said, oh, it was a bit of a temperature for three or four days, I could point you to somebody who's got lingering symptoms months afterwards. Mm -hmm. uh, so this, so um, that kind of attitude of um, not taking the virus seriously, um, uh, you know, I could point you to people I've had conversations with who said they didn't, and, they're, and thankfully they're alive and out of intensive care. Um, but we have to, I think, take the responsibility to protect each other. Okay, strong, strong advice. Now, if we do get a bit of a spike in Hertfordshire, um, what what powers do you uh, locally have to 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 start to deal with that? Um, so, so we've got a local outbreak plan, um, and uh, and government asked us on the I think the twenty second of May to stand up a local outbreak plan by the end of June. For they gave us a month and we did it and uh, everybody did it and um I, I know there are one or two people nationally who kind of um like to complain about it but i see it's been a really good thing for us to do um and so we have a multi-agency partnership with the health protection board and um, every day in hertfordshire we have a meeting that looks at the numbers of covid cases per district per area and what we do about those we have a number of work streams, including care homes and schools and workplaces. So our current focus is on preventing spikes. Um, and so if we get um, a number like, say, seven or five 
in an area or a workplace, we immediately send somebody into that workplace to kind of um, identify what the workplace is doing, look at where we can help, look at what we can do. So our focus is on prevention. And and if we do that, we can only make that work if everybody else in Hertfordshire continues to play their part, as we were talking earlier on. So, you know, the hand washing, the social distancing, the not sneezing, the wearing face coverings and the staying at home if you've got symptoms. So if we all do that together, we will suppress this virus. But if we do get a spike, um, and um, so we know that Luton, our neighbouring areas, have had a bit of a spike, there's a range of things we can do. So we can bring in even more testing. Um, we can we can ask premises to close. Um, we can require premises to close. We do have that power. Um, we can um, stop events from happening um, and gatherings from happening. So there's a range of powers that, that district councils and the county council has if it needs to, to take measures that are very locally based, um, including asking people to stay at home and, and uh, if they are infected or if they are positive or if they're awaiting a test result. So that's the pile of powers. If we wanted to say do what Leicester did, then, then that needs to go through our elected members up to the Secretary of State. But that can happen very quickly because in Leicester it happened within 24 hours. So there's and is that is that does that tend to be the way round it happens that that local public health will say we really need to do these things we've taken some steps that we can take ourselves but we need national government to do to agree that we can do more is that the way round it it works? Um, I think it's been a bit of a mix. So um, there there is a national watch list, um, and there is a, a you know where the where the the joint biosecurity centre. Um, look, looks um, at every area on a daily basis, but so do we locally. We look at every area on a daily basis, and what tends to happen is that. So, in in the Leicester case, I think it was it was government who may have identified it, um, but the local area identified they wanted to help first. In Blackburn with Darwin, it was a local area and national working in partnership. Um, so, so it's a bit of a mix, but it has tended to be they both meet in the middle, um, and and bring in the initiatives now. Um, the last thing I want is a is a local lockdown. I think the last thing anybody wants is a local lockdown. And and I'm really hoping that if we can continue in the way we've been doing, with people just being businesses being fantastic and residents being amazing, then then we'll never need that, uh, and we can just continue with the prevention plan. That that's my that would be the 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 uh, just a fabulous outcome for us if we could do that in Hertfordshire. I'm going to ask you to do the impossible now, um, which is let's wind the clock forward a year. Let's say uh, we're now in August 2021. What do you think we'll be saying? Where do you think we'll be? What what will we be saying about all of this? Um, so I think we'll be, I hope, um, there'll be a whole load of people that will be looking back on having run a marathon because this is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, I, I, I would like... Um, I would like us to have absolutely cracked living in a post-COVID world. So, um, you know, public events and festivals are COVID safe. And we've got promotions people and entertainment people working on that already. 
uh, in Hertfordshire. Um, our schools are COVID safe, our hospitals are back to some sense of normality. Um, we, um, uh, we are looking at our population, especially our BAME populations, being healthier and being more supported. Um, that we are a, we are an even kinder and more caring county. Um, that we uh, have had a shift to um, self-propelled transport like cycles and bikes and public transport more um, as a result of this. Um, and that our our charitable sector and our faith sector and our business sector are all thriving because they're all essential to the Hertfordshire economy. Um, and to get to, to get to that, do you think we have to have a vaccine? Without a vaccine, we can't get to something like that. It will be much easier with a vaccine. Uh, I think there's no doubt about it. Is it possible without one? Um, I believe it is, um, and, and I believe it is because if you look at, um, and, and I, don't, I don't want to pick out any exemplars, but if you look at the way some small retail has handled it and some big retail has handled it and some restaurants in Hertfordshire have handled it, uh, as well as the plans for um, reopening libraries and, and a variety of other things, um, I'm really confident we can do that even if the virus is still circulating. Um, and the, the virus will, this virus will eventually either go away or circulate in the community endemic in a different form than it is now. That's, that's my belief of where the science is heading. And I, th mm. I think we can make it happen with, with a vaccine much quick, more quickly. I genuinely believe if anywhere can do it without a vaccine, it's Hertfordshire, simply because of the way people have shown that persistence in taking those measures. It's never let up, never give up, never give up those measures and also never give up hope. And I really, really believe we can do that. OK, positive words. Um, so our guest this morning has been Professor Jim McManus. Uh, he's the Director of Public Health for Hertfordshire County Council. Uh, these pieces were recorded last Friday. Um, but Jim, just just give us um, whatever you'd like to say as your last, your parting thought for Verulam in the morning this morning. Um, I'd say it's been really tough um, uh, for, for many of us. And um, uh, but... Uh, this has brought out the best in many of us, um, and uh, we will get through this. We will get through this together, uh, and we will only get through this together. So for every single person who wears a mask, for every single person who washes their hands, for every single person who fills a contract trace form in, you know, for every single person who does an act of kindness and love for somebody else to stop them getting coronavirus, that's another um, brick in the wall to prevent this virus continuing to dominate our lives. Jim, thank you so much. And on behalf of everybody, I'm sure, across the whole of Hertfordshire, to your team and to you, thank you for the incredibly hard work you've put in and are going to continue to put in over the coming months and possibly even years. Thank you so much for sparing the time to join us 